0: Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 1 to 13. Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 1 to 13. And I'll read from the NIV version. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they had was of value to them, because they did not share the faith, because they did not share the faith, sorry, um, just as they did. But the message they had was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Verse 3, now we who have believed enter that rest just as God had said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it (coughs) today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8 For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There still remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their their example of obedience, of, of disobedience. Verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from the sight of God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And that is God's word. Allow me to take this opportunity to invite our lead pastor, Reverend Kasim, and pray for him as he brings God's word to us. Let us believe and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of sitting at your feet and the conduit through whom you are going to speak, Reverend Kasim. May he be in your hands what this microphone is in mind to reverberate the very heart of God to your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
1: Amen, and thank you very much, Pastor Cotty, and everybody who is... uh uh, behind the scenes there, making sure that we can actually reach, uh, reach the, uh, the, the, the listener and viewer this morning. And therefore, good morning, church. Always the church that is beautifully meeting uh, in our houses uh, with the very many priests and very many things that are happening in a new way, we thank God for this kind of a morning that we can share together. Talking about entering God's rest this morning, coming from uh, an Nairo Baptist church on Gatarongai. A week ago, I spent several days in a lot of restlessness where one of our children was not found, was, not be- or was missing, was not in the house, and we could not even eat, we could not even sleep. Some of the other siblings would have trouble sleeping, and they would have nightmares, and I was asking myself, when shall rest come to this home? And I re- look back and I realize that life is just like that, running up and down and never finding rest. Who can ever claim to have rest? Who has found rest? Who is who is resting until you die? And I realize that when uh, we are burying someone, we say, "R.I.P. Rest in peace." As if there is rest. Who said there is rest in the grave? Actually, is there rest? We say rest in peace. Is there surely any rest? Because there is rest for the body and there is also rest for the soul. The body rests from the labors only and it goes to the grave before resurrection. But there is also need for rest for the soul. When you have died and the body has gone to the grave, you have not yet rested. The soul remains. It remains somewhere. And I'm wondering, therefore, when is rest? And when, you, when you're born, you find that you actually move to the next level, and the next level gives you another challenge. When we are settling down in a country of a growing economy, other things come, and we have to find new ways. The president will never rest from this challenge to this challenge. The parent never le- rests. Even the student never rests. So, when do we rest in this life? How do we find rest? Even the pastor has no rest. Just when we have bought big commentaries and huge Bibles, then Corona comes, and we cannot meet. Uh, And I see every pastor struggling, saying hello, hello, hello on our phone, and it's not even coming, and it's not coming, and before too long, I switch over and go, because you're taking too much hello, hello, adjusting. There is no rest, even for the preachers. So, we need to look at some ideas here. I intend to share with you the idea of finding rest. And especially finding rest, which is called God's rest. In chapter 4 of Hebrews, we hear one big message about our great privilege of God's rest. The writer explains that the privileges we have under the gospel of grace are actually greater than those that were there in, under the law of Moses. Although the same gospel of substance was preached under both testaments, but as the Israelites failed to enter their promised uh, rest, we could easily, easily as a church, as believers today, we could easily miss our promise of eternal rest if we aren't careful. There are two things that the writer brings out to us here, called fear and also faith. So they become key tools needed in our Christian journey. Let us then give seriousness that we may visualize a visible entrance into the kingdom of God. As God completed his work and then rested from it during creation, so shall he cause the believer to finish his work and then to enjoy his and her rest? It is clear, therefore, that there lays ahead A more spiritual and a wonderful Sabbath remaining for the believer, which is called a rest. There is a rest. And this rest is a rest of grace. It is a rest of comfort. It is a rest of holiness. And in the gospel, it is a rest in the gospel state. And a rest in glory where the people of God shall enjoy the end of their faith. And the object of all their desires they live for. This rest or a sabbatism, if I can put it to you, was apparent in the mind of the writer of Hebrews to which he concludes that it remains to be enjoyed in the day to come. And it is the rest they shall obtain, the believers, when the Lord Jesus shall appear from heaven. But those who do not believe, or those who live casually in this life, shall never enter into this spiritual rest. Either of grace here or of glory thereafter. God has always declared man's rest to be him. But what does the writer want us to know about God's rest? Because he begins with warnings of fear. The, The writer has this in mind. First, I'll explain to you, A, understanding God's rest. And part B, knowing how to enter into that rest. So part A, understanding what God's rest is all about, we look at verse 1 to 2, and we realize, number one, it means homelessness in this world. God's rest means, in the mind of the writer of Hebrews, homelessness in this world. The believer is a pilgrim. He's only passing by. He's only passing by. And he's passing by on a higher calling above. The believer is spiritually tuned to see the tragedy of falling off the journey. And he fears, therefore, he or she doesn't live this life casually. There is a warning that don't live this life casually. Don't allow this life to just pass without looking at what has been achieved. Don't fall into the trap of living this life casually. The believer is tuned to the tragedy of falling off because we fear that we could actually fall off. The believer knows how to handle the promise of eternal rest very well. She he or she knows the recipe, knows the recipe of a long haul. We already know those that are in the Lord. We know We know the recipe like cooking recipe. We know how it is. We mix the promise with faith. That's the recipe. We know how to pick the promise of rest. Then we mix it with faith so that we can walk a long haul. Israelites did not know this. They didn't do this. They did not mix faith with a promise. Except Joshua and Caleb. Can you imagine, the whole of these people, imagine how they danced. How they danced as they crossed the water. How they danced when they saw the, the Egyptians perish. When they saw the mighty hand of the living God save them. How they danced, remember Miriam. Remember all these guys, how they danced before the Lord. And the big drums, they were actually celebrating. Remember that joy. But also remember the graves. Remember the graveyard on the desert. How many thousands and thousands of them were buried in the desert because of unbelief. That generation never went except Joshua and Caleb. And remember Joshua taking the toddlers, the toddlers who did not know about the promise. They learned about it from their parents who were perishing because of unbelief. Look at that tragedy. It is a rest that never was. But also in the mind of the writer, it means that the believer's rest is like God's rest on rest. So the believer's rest is actually equal to God's own rest. Verse 3 to 5. Faith as we, those who are believed in the Lord, guide God's people into this rest. This rest is actually not our rest, but it is the Lord's rest because he calls it my rest. Therefore, the rest of the believer is the rest of God. Although the works were finished from the foundations of the world, when God created uh, the, the earth and everything that was, God still spoke my rest Demonstrating that actually God still has this rest in his mind. And this is why we hear, because the promise of rest still remains. So this rest follows the pattern of God's rest. In that on the seventh day from all his works, as described in the quote from Genesis 2 verse 2, God rested after work. Working and resting therefore cannot coexist. Rest comes when work stops. You cannot work resting, and you cannot rest working. When you retire, you are retiring to rest, but I wonder whether we really retire to rest. Sometimes we take leave to go and rest, but we only change the working stations. This life and resting and working, then keep working, keep working, keep running, this is a then rest. Now, resting rest is a problem. But this is the problem, that they cannot coexist. Rest comes when work stops. Number three, it means that the believer has a balance of rest, which is called today. And we see this in verse 6 to 9. The believer has a balance of rest. The Old Testament rest was Canaan. Did you hear that? The, the, the rest that they were promised, the Israelites, was actually Canaan, And Joshua fulfilled it. But see psalms 95 verse 7 to 8 today if you will hear his voice this means that god revealed this after joshua's fulfillment this means that david and his descendants have a balance of this promise when david got revelation to hear the lord saying if you hear my voice so that you can enter rest this was after joshua meaning the old testament rest was not completely fulfilled there is a balance. The believer is still promised a rest. Although we find this perplexing, we still have a promise to rest, meaning that we can rest. Brethren, we can still rest. But which rest? The new and greater Joshua, also Yeshua, still proceeds to lead us to a heavenly canon of God's rest. This rest is a person, actually. That old uh, promise was Canaan a place. But today's rest is a person. So our rest is in Canaan. But our rest, in fact, it is not in heaven. Therefore, don't say that we shall rest when we go to heaven. No. Our rest now is not a place. It was a place in Canaan. Now it is a person. Our rest is a person. And this person is Jesus Christ. More than in doctrines and ideas, until a baby's mother comes, your promise of sweets and lollipop can never satisfy her anxiety and cry. What the baby needs is a mother, the mother's chest, not even the father. Never the father. I have tried at home, but my baby seem to go only to the mother's chest. That is where it is, not my sitting room, not in an eatery place. No, it is the mother's chest. The believer's rest, not in the sitting room, not even in heaven, not when you get a husband or wife, not when you get money, but the believer's rest is in a person called Jesus, the Lord's rest, and the Lord's chest. It means rest is achieved when we cease from our works, verse 10. The writer When the writer says who has entered into his rest as himself also created, ceased from his works, he means that there is no longer any place for work as a basis for our own righteousness. Not that there is no place for doing good anymore. But the rest is two-pronged. One, it is about present. How? Present in the grace of the Lord. Resting there and not on um, self-effort. But it's it's also about the future. It's about the future because it is being with Christ in his rest after total redemption. Remember, Christ is busy working. He is inviting, come to me. He is consoling us. He is cleansing us. He is busy organizing the church, defending the church, growing the church, winning the souls. He is very busy. But one day he will rest. And that is in the future. And when he rests, the believer shall join Christ in that rest. But there is also today, the open door of today. Today it is the grace. We still have the rest today in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So coming to Christ means ceasing to bank on our own works. But on what Christ has done at Calvary. That believers, we just come to the Lord. You just come and come. When you come to the Lord, you have found rest. Because the Lord himself is rest. Not the church. Not heaven. Not wherever, but in Christ himself. Surrender and confidence in God's mercy, therefore, fulfills our new covenant, sabbatism, or rest, should I call it. So how do you enter into God's rest? Number one, verse 11, by diligence. Now we know what is rest. It is the Lord himself. How do you enter? Number one, by diligence. Rest is there. But God does not force it upon us. We must enter that rest. There is the element of entering. There is the action. You don't just sit. You enter. You enter into rest. Clearly, there is entered. The rest is entered by faith. But it takes diligence. This means that faith is not a passive event. It requires diligence to trust. And to rely and to cling on Jesus and his work for us. So There must be some struggle. Someone entering. There is diligence. There is seeking so that you can enter. You don't just find yourself entering because you were born of a, of a pastor's family, of a Christian family. You must enter. Every one of us must enter. There is an action. There is It is not passive. It is active. Enter. Number two. By a spiritual view, you enter by a spiritual view or wisdom of the danger of disobedience. Let anyone fall according to the same example of the disobedience of the Israelites. If we are not diligent to enter that rest, the result can be a disaster. We may fall according to the same example just because we are disobedient. Number three, we enter by the diagnosis of God's word. When we look at verse 12 to 13, we see a lot of uh, this explanation of God's word. The word of God is living and powerful. It opens a person's heart and it exposes our filth, yet it provides a raw material for repair. It is a self-sufficient garage for the weary. It is powerful because it means active, not like a written novel. It has power to change. The word of God is not to to be read. It is supposed to be taken in and to be allowed because it is powerful and it is living. This is very important. It is living. It's real, yet it is powerful. It is sharp, in fact sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Spurgeon said, The revelation of God given us in Holy Scripture is over all over. It is alive in every part and in every part keen to cut the conscience and wound the heart. Depend upon it. There is not a superfluous verse in the Bible, nor a chapter which is useless. Even the shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. Don't just read Jesus wept, so he wept. No, so he wept. How can Jesus weep? What would make Jesus weep? Why? How? How? How can Jesus weep? Because every word is active. While it has an edge like a chapter or sword, it has also a point like a rapier. It cuts through the soul and the spirit, Clark says. When the soul is thus distinguished from the spirit by the former, it's meant that inferior faculty. So there is a distinction between the soul and also the spirit. There is a distinction between the pneuma and the psyche. The psyche is about emotions, while the pneuma is about the breath, is about the spirit, is about the supernatural, super is about the exterior. And therefore this is the idea that the word of God is sharper it cuts through the soul it divides the soul from the from the from the spirit so that the body can obey when the word of God enters us when we allow the word of God in our hearts it cuts the soul the king is arrested The decisions are arrested. You surrender and say, it is no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. It is not my my bank account. It is not my beauty that speaketh, but Christ liveth in me. So it cuts. And when the soul is sharpened, and when the spirit is sharpened, then the body behaves. It discerns our thoughts and intent of our hearts. And that was the message. We get to a point of the singer Who said, who sang through it all, that this life I have learned to depend upon his word. Through it all, through it all, I have learned to depend upon his word. Just before I make the last point, I just want us to reflect on that song. Through it all. Our land to depend upon the word of God. And by our open accounting for the Lord's touch, we get to enter rest. That all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him whom we must give account. That God sees our heart and knows how to touch. And we must give account for how we respond to His touch. That we must allow God's arsenal of the word to make us feel naked. Two things to feel naked and to feel open. Do not wrestle with the word. Do not wrestle, do not give excuses. Do not even give justification of our shortcomings. When the word comes, do not say that the message was good. Say it was mine. It is mine. You feel the word is mine. The message was mine. It has cut my heart. Therefore, it has left me naked. The word of God comes to cause us to feel naked. Number two, we must allow it. To do what? To overthrow us? To open us? We get to that point where the Pentecostal experience leads us to say yes to his cues. Rest is needful for this bondage to power of sin. This life, this hustle and this mistrust and this uncertainty of tomorrow. a rest was in a place but now it is in a person. Jesus Christ who daily invites us to come and enter. This rest is rest. And therefore, we must come to him. And a resting Christian will get to a point where he says, My soul says yes.
0: Says yes. Says yes. My soul says yes. Says yes to you. Say, My soul says yes. Says yes.
1: yes. Says yes. spirit say yes to the will of the Lord. And even as you sit there and we are responding to this challenge, how to find God's rest, just say like us and like the singer, Lord, I rest in you and I allow you a word to pierce me. I allow you a word to make my heart to feel naked before you. To look at my sinfulness. To look at my failed and to look at my shortcomings. Lord, I have no excuse for the things I have done. And I take no credit for anything that has happened in my life. Lord, cause me to enter rest. To enter into you. Lord, allow me to depend upon your word and to say through it all I have learned to depend upon your word. Not to depend upon my certificate and my beauty and my family because all these things crumble. Everything else is a sinking sun. But Lord, I come to you. Cause me to come to the river and to drink of the river and to live by the river of your word. Cause me and my wife and my children, my family and my businesses, man, everything I do and my ministry to rest only upon you because only in you is there rest. And therefore, Lord, whatever is happening, whatever journey, whatever journey I go through, whatever journey we go through, Lord, we say yes, because you are the true captain of our journey. May the Lord find you. And if you are looking for Christ, may you pray this prayer, Lord. Even me, I come to you. Now I surrender my heart to you. This sermon cuts me And I allow it to cut me and leave me naked. I am a sinner. I am lost and I am finding no rest and I have no rest. And after this body has rested, my soul will be restless. I come to you and I hide my soul in you this morning. Accept me, I confess, and I accept you in my life. And I take you in, Lord. Walk with me so that I can also sing that my soul says yes. I say yes to you, Lord. You have been a believer and you backslid and you went away looking for rest. There is no rest. Come back to the rest, which is in a a person, not in a place. And you come to the Lord, Lord. I come to you again. I renew my fellowship with you again. Give me rest again and renew me. I will walk again in you and I will go back to the word so that I can depend upon the word because I have learned to trust in you. The situation that is before you. The Lord can take care of you. He is the rest. Take it. Take all your cares and your tears. He knows He has a bottle. He will keep it. He will keep the tears in a bottle. He has kept my tears. He has kept them over the years. He will keep yours. Keep your tears in the Lord. Find rest in Him. Go to Him. Go nowhere else. Go to the Lord. And I pray that the Lord will give you rest. I pray for a new wave of rest. I pray for a season of rest for you, that you will sing a song of victory in the name of God with the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let me pray for you, dear one. Even as you go on with your journey this week, if you can and you want, you may just raise your hands like this and receive uh, this prophetic prayer to you. May the Lord... Give you rest. Even this day. May the Lord, may the Lord's rest be found real in you. May He give you a song in the night. In your night which you know, may the Lord give you rest. May the Lord give you a song to sing. Later and say yebenezer, the Lord has walked with me. May the Lord's grace carry you through this valley and mountain. May he give you a song after this season. May the Lord shine before you even this broke season, even this jobless season. Even this season of sickness, may the Lord's grace carry you. May the Lord's rest be really in you. May He enthrone you. May He carry you. May you feel like you are in His basket. May the Lord hide you truly there on Monday and Tuesday. May the Lord's grace shine before you and His face be shown before you on Wednesday and Thursday. May the Lord hear your prayer even when you petition. May you find assurance that He listens and He cares for you even on Friday. I pray the Lord's favor be upon you even on Saturday. May the pestilences never find their place in you. May he hide you in a secret place because he does have a secret place. May he bring you out to hibernate again like a frog after a long dry season. May a rainy season come before you. May you come out like a strong frog and say, the Lord has been my portion. May you come back on Sunday to follow us and to fellowship with us and to worship with us because God loves you. And this is my prayer for you today. Take it by faith. In the name of God, who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore, amen. You are more than a conger in Christ. The Lord cares for you.